0: This is A Disciple's Point of View, One Disciple's Perspective on God's Word. My name is Craig and I'll be your host today as we go through a myriad of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Eternal Life 101. So in the previous episodes, the previous six episodes, we've gone through chapters one through three, and then we're going to dive right into Romans chapter four. And one thing we've got to keep in mind is on the heels of finishing Romans chapter three, the very last verse in verse 31 says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So think about that as we go into what we're going to talk about today. It's seemingly a kind of reversal a kind of you know we're going off on a fork on the road or a rabbit trail or something like that but not really what it is is basically the apostle paul then makes the case for the jewish forefather abraham held in extremely high esteem by most jewish people uh probably is up there with moses you know as the giver of the law abraham who is basically the father of the entire nation of israel and so coming off the heels of paul's proclamation we uphold that faith is what upholds the law and he brings up abraham because any jewish person probably would have brought him up at this point so paul heads everybody off at the pass and brings it up and then makes the case for even abraham was justified by faith so let's just dive right in and read the first two verses It says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. So basically, yeah, Paul is talking about, okay, if we want to go ahead and bring up that people are justified by what they do in terms of upholding the law, Abraham would have been probably one of the best examples of that because he obeyed God and came out of the land of Ur and went to the land that God would show him. And hence, he was justified by what he did. Right. But ultimately not before God. So we go into verse three that says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we're going to do a little bit of background here. I'm going to give you what in the world the Apostle Paul was talking about. Okay, so verse three answers the question by going directly to the scriptures, right? So in verses one through two, the Apostle Paul set up, it's like, you know, hey, if anybody had had rights to brag, it was Abraham, right? But did he have a right to brag about his righteousness before God? Verse 3 basically says, according to the Scriptures, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So if we don't gain what we know from God from the Bible, we can make anything we want up. So basically what I'm trying to say with that is, Verse three, we're going back to the scriptures. We're formulating what we believe, what we think in terms of how we're justified before God and even our thoughts about God himself directly from what the Bible says. Because if we don't go directly to a source of inspired truth, we can make up anything we want and is probably, to be quite honest, as a side note, Why the devil has created so much confusion in creating all kinds of different religions and even variations of christianity and so we have no clue what the truth is right and so we would rightly say like uh, pontius pilate said in the gospels who was the roman governor who had the power or not to kill jesus and he said what is truth whenever jesus said that he is the truth so Basically, verse 3 quotes directly Genesis 5, 6, or I'm sorry, Genesis 15, verse 6. This was in response to a covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And basically what that says is, we'll just read directly from that. It said, Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So basically some Jewish people would probably say, see, he was justified by what he did. He actually got up and obeyed God. God continues in verse two, and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the family, Families of the earth shall be blessed. And so this is largely referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. So Abraham didn't doubt what God had told him. Okay. At least in that moment when he was declared righteous before God. Because if we do read Genesis 15, verse 6, it says, And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this was before he did anything like in um, in a following chapter, he did kind of laugh and say, shall I father a child when I'm a hundred years old? But he had already believed, he'd already been believing. And there have been times in many believers life, I've had crises of faith, but I held on to my belief regardless of the doubts that I had. So likely, Whenever Abram, or Abraham as he was later named, he did doubt God, he did kind of laugh, the same as Sarah laughed in uh, Genesis 17. Uh, Abraham had already expressed the belief that he knew that God was true and that he would bring to pass everything that he said he would bring to pass. But conversely, his wife Sarah did doubt God. The reason why we can say that, you know, she did doubt God. Okay, is because of what she did in response to the covenant that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and that he reiterated in Genesis chapter 15. She went and decided to try to fulfill God's promise through her handmaiden Hagar in Genesis 15, chapter 16. This resulted in a child by the name of Ishmael. And it should be a side note. Abraham went along with this. Okay, so this is where we see the forbearance of God, and this is where we see that God doesn't punish every single act of disobedience. He decides who he's going to have mercy on and who he is not going to have mercy on. Okay, but God maintained later on that God's covenant with Abraham would be fulfilled through a child that Sarah would give birth to, and they would name him Isaac. See also Genesis 17 verse 19 and as a side note as well it is believed that ishmael is the father of the abraham or i'm sorry the arab nations and many muslims believe that the promise god gave to abraham was through ishmael and not isaac okay so if we say that god's covenant with abraham was actually through ishmael then we can see why many muslims now in the current middle eastern conflict can claim that the jewish people have no right to the land because if the people that would inherit the promises given to abraham was ishmael's descendants then they are the owners of the land and through god they are the ones who are the rightful heirs to the land that Israel is currently occupying. Of course, the Jewish people would say no. And the Bible would then also stipulate as well that it is through Isaac, which is where the Jewish people came from. So we see that basically, because Abraham and Sarah ended up sinning before God and not taking him by faith and trying to fulfill the promise that he gave to them through their own means, through the means of the flesh themselves in a way that God didn't direct them to do, we can see that even now we are still dealing with the fruit of that sin. So let's go ahead and move on into verses four through five that maintains the gifts aren't earned, but they're simply given and accepted. And I'll just read those verses verbatim right here, right now. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. I'm sorry, wrong one. Verse four, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So basically, if somebody wants to give you a gift, it's not something you earn. It's something you simply accept and receive and are grateful for. Likewise, the person giving the gift doesn't give it as something that they earned. Otherwise, it's not a gift. It's a wage. Okay so we then move on to verses six through eight and this is likely quoting psalm 32 but let's go ahead and just read through the verses in romans starting in chapter six Just as david also speaks a blessing to the one of the one rather to whom god counts righteousness apart from works blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Likely, this is in reference to David's sin with Bathsheba that's recorded in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, and then God's forgiveness of that sin. So basically, a brief synopsis is that David is the king of Israel at this point. He is walking on the roof of his particular building, and apparently it was taller than the other buildings around it. And apparently, back in these days, People bathed on the roof of their buildings for whatever reason. I guess that's where their baths were. So he happens to be looking down on the other buildings around him and happens to see a woman bathing, a woman by the name of Bathsheba. So he looks to his servants and says, Bring me that woman. And he gave in to his flesh and the temptation that he was given and he slept with her. Bathsheba was married to another man. His name was Uriah, who was serving in the uh, army of Israel, and they were waging a campaign at that time against another nation. David basically committed adultery here. Okay. And there was basically it was found out through the prophet Nathan in chapter 12. This is recorded and is brought to light what David did, and Bathsheba ended up getting pregnant. Because we also have to keep in mind, too. One thing I should say in backing up, in trying to cover up the sin that he committed in adultery and Bathsheba thereby getting pregnant, he then ultimately sent Uriah to the front lines of the battle whereby he was killed. So basically, David gave the order for Uriah to be killed, and God counted that as him having committed murder. Okay? So already there are two commandments that David has broken, and strangely enough, David is the one considered after God's own heart because in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, whenever God established the first king of Israel, Saul, Saul disobeyed God. And he says, I'm going to look for another who will be after my own heart. And then fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see that David is the one that is chosen by God to be the second king of Israel to replace Saul, who God was taking off the throne. Okay. So interestingly enough, we go through and we read Psalm 32. I'll start in verse three, since the first two are already quoted here in the book of Romans. It says Psalm 32, verse three, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength dried up as if by the heat of the summer i acknowledge my sin to you and i did not cover my iniquity i said i will confess my transgression to the lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin so this fits perfectly into into paul's argument about that we're saved by grace through faith and not by any works of the law because even david who is the man after god's own heart another big time forefather That the jewish people would have looked to back in the times of jesus because david had long since passed away at that point but was still highly regarded as one of the basic forefathers of israel and he is even sitting here saying i confess my sin and i received forgiveness from my sins this fits perfectly into the theme that paul is building so we'll move on to verse. and also i should say That through this grace, through faith that we live in, we can now, instead of trying to live God's standard in our lives via our own strength, we rely on that of the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to be able to live us the life that he wants us to live in the way that he originally intended, but through another covenant. The first covenant was given so that that sin may increase, and where sin increased, grace abounded. We're going to see that later on in the book of Romans. So moving on into verse nine of chapter four of the book of Romans, it says, is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? So we'll have to give a little bit of background to this as well. So what is circumcision? Well, we know that basically whenever kids are born, parents these days have the option to have their male children circumcised on their penis or uncircumcised. So strangely enough, for those who may not know this, the, the uh, covenant of circumcision was given to Abraham. he was nearly 100 years old so this had to have been severe i'm sorry 99 years old in genesis chapter 17 this is chronicled so basically as a way to distinguish between god's people and the people of the world who did not have god's covenant god gave the sign of circumcision so that all the males would be seen as god's people by being circumcised okay so basically um you'll see a lot of times in the epistles those of the circumcision is sometimes what the paul the apostle paul will talk about and this is referring to jewish people or judaizers who basically said that you have to keep the law of moses and be uh saved by grace through faith in jesus christ which is a big huge contradiction which he does end up debunking in the book of galatians especially however We're talking here about the difference between the law and grace. Okay. So he introduces the idea of circumcision, which inevitably the Jewish people hearing this probably would have brought up. So starting in verse 10, I'll just read those verses first. In chapter 4, it says, How then was it counted to him? Okay. Uh, So I'll just read verse 9 again, and it'll make it make a little bit more sense. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. So remember I said in Genesis chapter 17, the covenant of circumcision was given. But already in two previous chapters, so we can believe that the uh, account of Abraham is written in a linear fashion. So that's what the evidence of the text suggests. So in Genesis chapter 15, that was clearly before the covenant of circumcision was given when God already said that he counted uh, righteousness to Abraham for having just simply believed that God would bring a child through him and sarah and that they would populate the whole earth and they would be like the stars of the sky and we have to um think about this too for a second just think about that as a side note of genesis chapter 15 where god said they're going to be like the stars of the heavens we look up into the night sky. Most of us live in cities that probably are listening to this. Most of you probably don't live out in the middle of nowhere. You might. I don't know. But most of us probably live in cities that are listening to this. We can't see the night sky as the ancients would have seen it long before technology. Okay, We have to consider that this was probably about 23,000 to 2,500 BC is when Abraham would have walked the earth. Okay? So, you have to consider the only light sources they really had were fire, was fire and fire torches, right? Maybe uh, some candlelight, but it's still the basic concept of fire. That was the only source of light that pretty much anybody ever had in the ancient world to light up the darkness, right? So, after the sun went down, they either had basically the night sky or fire to light their way. Here's the thing if you've ever been out in the middle of nowhere now, And you have seen the night sky without a full moon, by the way, if you've ever seen the night sky in darkest parts of the world, if you live in the United States, like me, like the Grand Canyon is a great place to go see this when it's not a full moon, by the way. And I'll say why here in just a second, you will be flabbergasted how the night sky looks. It looks like the pictures you see on the internet. You could probably go ahead and Google some of this stuff and see those pictures of the night sky. And all the plethora of stars, you could see the band of the Milky Way in the night sky. It is, if you've never done it before, i would to encourage you to go somewhere like Big Bend National Park in Texas or the Grand Canyon in Arizona, if you have the ability to go and go when it's not a full moon. Because I will tell you firsthand, um, I went to the Grand Canyon for this very reason. I wanted to see the night sky without the adulteration of the city lights, right? So I go and the sun starts going down and I can start seeing the stars and all their splendor. But then I start seeing this huge light coming up from the east. I didn't realize, oh yeah, it's a full moon. And I have never seen the moon like this. The moon just lit up the sky, almost like the sun itself. It was spectacular to see and behold despite itself. I was kind of disappointed that I couldn't see the stars and I saw this bright full moon, but that in of itself was just a breathtaking splendor to see. The reason why I bring that up is because Abraham would have seen a sky exactly like that. And he is saying God is telling him that his descendants will be as if the stars of the sky. Think about that for just a few seconds. Abraham, who is 90 some odd years old. Sarah was probably, I think she was about 10 to 20 years younger. Even by the standards back in the book of Genesis, if you believed in the uh, lifespans as recorded in the early part of the book of Genesis. They were still past childbearing years. As a matter of fact, and later on in uh, Romans chapter four and verse 19, Apostle Paul is going to say that basically Sarah's womb was dead. And God is sitting here telling them that Sarah will give birth to a child, and his name will become Isaac. And this is how Abraham was considered righteous before God. He simply believed what God had told him to do, or that God had told him would happen, rather. And nobody ever believes God, right? If it if, if you talk about the Bible to anybody now. They're going to say, no, I don't believe that stuff or whatever else. All oh, that Jesus stuff, that works fine for you, but I don't believe that. If people will simply believe what God has said, God sees that as remarkable. And it's not so much that he gives us righteousness because of that. He's pleased by that. He wants us to believe him. He wants us to take him at his word. That's why we're justified by grace through faith. We simply believe what God has done and what God has told us he will do as a result of our belief. That's how we're counted as righteous. And that's how the forefather of the Jewish people, Abraham, was justified before God. And that's the argument that Paul is making. So it's huge to say that The covenant of circumcision was given after God attributed to righteousness to Abraham in chapter 12. Actually, it was chapter 15, verse 6 of Genesis. Therefore, we can't refer to the act of being circumcised to say that we can bring about our own righteousness at all. So we have even less ways that we can think that we have the right to brag before God. So we'll go ahead and close out uh today's lesson with the last two verses that we'll cover today of the romans chapter 4 which is verses 11 and 12. it says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to him the father of the circumcised, who is not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So you can't count on any kind of rule keeping, any factor that, oh, I've been circumcised or anything else like that. It states that Abraham being declared righteous by his faith in what God told him became the model by which all would be seen as righteous before God." So basically, the Apostle Paul is making the case here that the forefather of the Jewish people, Abraham, was the actual first recorded human being, in a sen- essentially, that had faith in God, that was considered righteous before him. So he is making the case that even though he is counted by the Jewish people to be the progenitor of the Jewish race, that he himself was seen as righteous before God. And if you have sat here wondering how in the world I can be seen as righteous before God, then I want you to go ahead and pay attention to the segment that's coming up here in just a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today all you need to do is believe believe that jesus was who he said he was he was god in the flesh believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead confess him as lord and the bible says that you will be saved if you do that if you truly believe in your heart that jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead and now I confess you as Lord please take control of my life and I want to follow you for the rest of my days Jesus name I pray amen that's all you need to do And your life will change your life will change not necessarily materially not necessarily in terms of the world But your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was penning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.